Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So he called himself the bread of heaven. Um, the, The Jew says, here's our sign. Our sign is that God gave us manna in the wilderness. That's our sign. And Jesus says, well, here's a better sign. I'm the actual manifestation of that bread. If you eat me, you put me into you, you will live. They ate and lived for a period of time, but they all died. You put me in you and you live forever. So he calls himself the bread of heaven. He also called himself the light of the world back in chapter eight and nine, the light of the world, the the, the, the Jews in particular, they were thinking that they could see clearly because of what Moses had written down, the law, and they were trying to light their path by the law. And they bring the adulterous woman, they bring the stuff in front of Jesus to try to trip him up. And he's like, really, I'm the light of the world, John 8, 12. And it's by me that you get to see what true reality is. And in chapter 10, he says that he's the good shepherd that his sheep hear his voice. He lays his life down for his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice. And the reason why those Jews in chapter 10 from last week were ready to pick up stones and throw them at Jesus, he tells them, is because you're not of this flock. And for a Jew to hear that they're not of God's flock, I mean, that, that's the greatest form of insult that they could possibly, I mean, you might as well call them, you know, Samaritan lovers or something. It was the most, most uh, uh, damaging insult that you could possibly levy upon a Jew of that day. He said that you are not of God's flock. You're not his sheep. And he also called himself the door. That it's through him that you enter in to this kingdom of heaven as he's talking about. So he's the door. He's the good shepherd. The shepherd that actually lays his life. Remember he He contrasts that with hired men who run at the first sight of danger. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down, foreshadowing what he would do. He's the light of the world. He's the uh, bread of heaven. And today we're going to see him call himself something else. Two more things, two more I am's. But what I think is super cool in chapter 10, he said, my sheep hear my voice and those who aren't my sheep don't hear my voice. And in chapter 10, he had people ready to pick up stones and throw at him because they didn't hear, they were not listening to him. They weren't hearing what he had to say. They weren't smelling what he was uh, cooking. Yeah, that's better than what was coming to my head for some reason. Thank you, Jim. Um, And so he, but now in chapter 11, so those sheep in chapter 10 didn't hear his voice. They weren't listening. They couldn't hear him. But now in chapter 10, 
which, I mean, 11, what's super cool is that we're going to find a couple of people who could hear him, who did hear him, and they obviously believed him, and they were a part of his sheep, which is really awesome. And this is a very famous passage of Scripture. There's probably nothing in this that you've not already read or familiarized yourself with. I'm just going to try to make a couple of highlights, a couple of points, and then we'll have some discussion time at the end and see where the Lord leads us. So let's start here in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, We've made a big deal, as we should have, as we should, about some of the names of some of these towns and villages and even some of the people. And so up until this point, Jesus has really been talking with uh, people who are putting their hope in their own abilities, their own strengths, their own uh, uh, religious efforts to work their way towards God, the religious Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, etc. And now we kind of shift in chapter 11 to this Guy and his two sisters, Lazarus, and we're going to get some descriptions about them. They loved the Lord. The Lord loved them. They obviously had a deep relationship. In fact, next verse in chapter 10, Mary takes a whole, um, uh, chapter 12, whatever I said, it's the next chapter, chapter 12. She takes a whole year's worth of, of oil, like cost-wise. So like whatever your annual income is for the year, like convert that into a perfume and she crashes it. She pours it out over his feet and anoints him because that was a few days before Passover. So we're talking like a week-ish or so before his death. And as he's hanging on the cross, we'll get into this more next week, I would assume that that same aroma is still wafting through the air as he's hanging on the cross. And so these are people he has deep relationship with as opposed to those who were rejecting him and putting their hope in themselves. These are people, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who are putting their hope, their, their trust in Jesus. They believe, we'll see in this chapter, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so what I want to just show is this contrast between these people who, are, who put their hope, they believe that Moses, the law, their own religious abilities was their help, versus these guys who... They were basically saying that the Lord, God himself, is my hope. God himself is my help. I have no ability to do this on my own. So Lazarus actually comes from two Hebrew words. The one name for God, and the other, the name or the word for my hope, my help. So Lazarus actually means, if you just like uh, translate it simply, the Lord God is my help. He is my hope. And so there's this beautiful, uh, um, is it a juxtaposition? You know, it's, a, it's a comparison between these religious leaders who, are, who I am my own help, my ability, versus Lazarus. His name even means, hey, look, my dependency upon the Lord is my only hope. So cool to me. Bethany, the name Bethany, Beth is Hebrew for um, bre- uh, house. Uh, like Bethlehem, the house of bread. Uh, Bethany is the house of agony, the house of pain. And it also, this word is kind of weird because it also can mean the house of, this, this word for pain, agony, also is um, song. So a lot of times when you read through the, the, the Psalms, which are were Old Testament songs, there's a lot of agony and a lot of pain, you know, that you hear 
the psalmist writing about. Kind of like an old country song, you know? It's just like there's a tear in my beer and I'm crying because she's dying or something like that. And, and so there's this agony. We get that even with our music today. There's, there's an agony in, pain, in, in, in music a lot of times. But the, the town, the village is called the house of agony, the house of affliction. Now, here's what's just super cool to me. Well, I'll save it for a second. I'll save it for a few verses. Get ahead of myself. It's the village, this house of agony. And there's agony. There's affliction happening because he's what? He's sick. It was the the Mary. Now, John is kind of cool. He he tells us, he clarifies, because there's a lot of Marys. That's a very common name. He says, it's the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And that actually happens the very next chapter in chapter 12. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So of all the Marys, this is the Mary that she's talking about, that he's talking about. So the sisters sent word to him, Jesus, saying, Behold, Lord, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, are they trying to put a a guilt trip on Jesus? Like, hey, this is the one you love. And you've helped all these other people that you don't even know. But this one that you love, he's sick. Is it a guilt trip they're putting on Jesus? I don't know, maybe. But at minimum, what I see them doing is, it, they are recognizing the relationship that they have with Jesus. There's, this is a love relationship, not just simply, you know, some prophet, you know, some rabbi who, you know, could care less. But this is someone who has actually manifested his love towards them, and they get it. They see it. We just saying, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Paul writes in the New Testament that his prayer for the Ephesians is that, we, that they would get to know the depth of his love for them. You see, the new covenant is not like the old. The old covenant is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Old Testament in a nutshell. No greater law than those two. Well, what's the New Testament? What's the new covenant? That he loves what? You with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. And as you get to know his love for you, Yes, you. It begins to transform us in ways that no command could ever. And so they they had a taste of this. This is still Old Covenant. The New Covenant hasn't begun. But they definitely are picking up what Jesus is putting down. Verse 4. This is weird to me. He catches word. He hears word. The one you love is sick. Lazarus. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, talking about himself, may be glorified by it. So right here, just in verse 4, we know that everything we're about to read is a lot bigger than just some guy who dies and comes back to life. Okay, so let's don't just read this just in the factual historical record that it is. And it is a factual historical record of a man dying and being brought back to life. But let's realize that there's something bigger than just a man dying and being brought back to life. He's saying that this is so that the Son of Man, the Son of God himself, Jesus, may be glorified, may be magnified, may be seen for who he truly is. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is weird to me. This is awkward. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, Jesus, then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Doesn't that read funny to you? He loved them. He loved them. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed and didn't go to them. Does that strike you as kind of awkward as it strikes me? If you, if you hear that somebody you love is sick and they need you, do you stay wherever you are for two more days? No, you run to them. So what's going on here? What is he saying? Well, again, this is so much bigger than just a man dying and coming back to life. Um, would we talk about a guy, sure, who was sick and Jesus healed? There was a lot of those. But who doesn't know Lazarus, even of the unbelievers? Who doesn't know the fact that Lazarus was a man who was dead and came back to life? And so I see this as two things. Jesus is either saying he stayed only for two more days in the place where he was because he was going to stay longer, but he loved them so much he wanted to get back, so he only stayed for two more days. You know, that's one way to see it. Or another way is he loved them so much that he wanted them Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to be the, 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 the we'll call it a, a, a metaphor, the, the, the analogy, the metaphor for what I'm actually here to do in this new covenant. Either way, I'm fine with, but I think it's going to be this latter. So what is this greater thing that Jesus is going to be glorified in? And every single illustration, every single um, a miracle so far has been, been used in John as a theme of a purpose from the water to the wine that Brandon spoke about months ago. It was a theme of purpose of taking that which was old, useless. It was from the ceremonial wash pits. It was nasty and he turned it into the best ever. Talking about how we are dead in our iniquities and our sins and Jesus through his redemptive work turns us into the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Every single miracle uh, the very next miracle after calling himself the light of the world, he takes a man blind from what? Birth and gives him sight. Every single miracle has, is, is a testimony to something bigger than just Jesus' physical ability to physically heal somebody. There's a spiritual depth to it. Call it a metaphor. Call it a, uh, maybe there's another part of language that is a better word than metaphor, but call it whatever you will. It is representing something so much bigger, something so much bigger. So verse 7, <clears throat> after this, he said to the disciples, so I'm assuming after two days, he said, let's go down to Judea again. <laughs> uh, I love the disciples at times. Uh, this is so practical. Rabbi, the Jews were just... Uh, seeking to stone you. It's like, don't you remember? I mean, John, read back last chapter. <laughs> like, don't you remember this? It just happened. Why are you going to go there again? It's a true story. Read John 8, 9, and 10. The Jews are not happy with Jesus. And verses 9 and 10 have some of the most beautiful truth and powerful reality of what Jesus has come to do but I think even in this passage, it's hidden, and I want the Spirit to reveal this to us because I'm, I lack the words to communicate the next two verses. So hopefully the Lord will do this. Verse 9, Jesus says, Are there not 12 hours in a day, in daylight, in daytime? Of course. 
If anyone walks in the day while the sun is shining, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He sees what's in front of him. The sun is shining. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. It's dark. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, light and darkness. You stumble at nighttime because the light is not in him. And then verse 11, he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. It's like, wait a minute. What in the world was verse 9 and 10 about? 12 hours, we can walk around and we don't stumble, but when it's night, we have to be careful because we'll stumble and fall into a trap, a, tr- a ditch. Or what. Let's go see Lazarus. Like, what is that all about? What is Jesus saying? What is he implying? What is he getting at? Well, remember a few minutes ago I said that there is something so much bigger in this chapter than just a man who dies and comes back to life. And I think this is the beginning of Jesus unveiling the depth of what Jesus is really here to do. You see, it's easy to walk around with a light source, the sun. Like, let's don't think about 2019 because we have electricity, etc. Let's go way back to when Jesus was walking. It's easy to walk around during the day because you have the sun. But when that light source goes away, what happens? It's so easy to stumble and trip. There are no halogen headlights on your donkey. I mean, there is a, 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 maybe a lamp, a, a, a flickering candle to get to, from one house to the next when the sun goes down. It's debil. I mean, there, there, there truly is. When it gets dark, and there's, especially when there's no moon and um, uh, stars, it, it's impossible to just get from when we've been in, in Guatemala and sometimes some of the villages that we go into they don't they have some electricity but certainly nothing like street lights and stuff like that and man you get from from one little hut to the next uh, you're gonna be careful because you don't know what you're gonna step in <laughs> um, it's a tough you know it's tough we don't experience that it's hard for us to understand that life once the sun goes down because we can just take our phone out and flick the 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 uh, the flashlight and we're we're okay. We can get out to the car and get, you know, whatever we left out there. You ever go to the car with your phone as a flashlight to look for your phone? <laughs> Done that a time or two. Um, so we don't know which way to go if we have no light. We don't know what's waiting for us ahead. It's darkness. Remember, Jesus gave the illustration of the the good Samaritan, you know, and the, 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 the person who falls into the hand of robbers. And you get this idea of like, it's behind this dark, you know, uh, in this dark path where it's dangerous and there's darkness. And so Jesus is saying during the day, you can see at night you can't because there's not a light within him. What I hear Jesus saying is that mankind thinks it can see because during the day, hey, it's crystal clear. We seem to have purpose. We seem to have direction. We seem to have clarity. Look at the daylight. But as soon as the sun goes down, there's stumbling, there's tripping, there's darkness. There's no purpose. There's no direction. There's no clarity. But what if there was another light source? A different source of light, a light that was actually within humanity, a light source that wasn't shining from outside, 
but a light that's shining from within to give purpose, direction, meaning. I could be wrong on this. You can correct me if you think I'm way out of line here. But I kind of think of when he's talking about the 12 hours for day and the 12 hours by night, I go back to the garden. I go back to when he created day, created night. And I go back specifically to the trees, the two trees. You have the tree of the knowledge of what and what? Good and what? Evil. And you have the tree of what? Life. Well, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good. It's good. Doing what's right, it's good. But it's also the tree of the knowledge of evil, darkness. And so I think, I could be wrong, you can correct me, I think this, this, this statement that Jesus makes, this parable, whatever he's getting at, is there is 12 hours of good, and you think that because of the good, there's good. And that you're good because you can see, you can walk around during the 12 hours. You have a knowledge of good. You have a knowledge of purpose, of meaning. It seems good. But as soon as that light goes out, you now have the knowledge of evil. There's darkness. There's sin. There's wickedness. There's vileness. There's betrayal. There's stumbling, as he calls it. And this is the system. Knowledge of good, 12 hours of good, 12 hours of bad. Knowledge of good, knowledge of evil. But what if there is another source, another tree, but another source of light, as he calls it, light that now is actually within them, the tree of life itself, obviously referring to Christ, who the life within doesn't dict- isn't dictated, the light within doesn't, isn't dictated by what's going on outside. There's outside light, there's outside darkness, But if there was another light source from within, there would be direction, there would be purpose, there would be meaning, there would be satisfaction, there would be completeness, regardless of light and dark on the outside. And so I could be wrong, but I just think Jesus is knocking on this this door of, of revealing to his disciples, revealing to us thousands of years later, That Jesus has come not to give 24 hours of external light so that we can walk around externally okay and just eliminate bad and we have just the knowledge of good. But I think he's come to do something so much bigger and better to actually put a light source within, within us so that we can actually see by his very light. I hear Jesus saying that you think you know what is going on because you think you can see reality. You see a dead person and you say they're dead. You see an alive person and you say they're alive. And I hear Jesus saying that you can look at the outer all you want, but that doesn't prove the stat, the status, the status of that inner heart, that inner man. There's an external 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness, but there's another reality, 24 hours, seven days a week of light within in this new covenant of a new heart. I try to think of a better illustration of this to try to communicate this, but I just couldn't, and so I couldn't refuse the, the, the temptation. 
Do we have Star Wars? Yeah. Right? You seen the one of the more recent ones, uh, um, uh, Rogue One? Have you seen that one? I think that's the right one. There's got so many new ones that have come out. Is that the one where the, the blind uh, Asian Chinese guy is in? Is that the right one? You've seen the movie? You know what I'm talking about? All right, so he's blind, right? Can't see. And he's not like Jordy LaForge with he has like, you know, the little, you know, visor thing on. Like, he's blind. But you know what happens when they get into battle and all this sort of stuff? He can see better than the rest of them, right? How? Well, in the movie, it's because he has the what? The force. I'm one with the force and the force is with me or whatever, you know, it is. That's Hollywood. That's uh, George whatever. But, but is that not communicating to us something that's even more deep and more real? The realness of Christ himself? That a, a blind can actually see better than those who can see because of another light source? Not the force, but Christ himself? So Jesus said he's going to Bethany to wake him up. Do you, think the, do you think the disciples are like, oh, cool, we've got a new light source, Jesus Christ in us. We're, we're tracking with this, Jesus. Do you think that's where they're at? No. They said to him, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he'll get better. He'll wake up. If he's just asleep, maybe he's got a bad tummy ache, he'll get better, Jesus. And John helps us understand. He says, Jesus is speaking about his death. It's called euphemism. He, he, he was saying asleep, but he's really it's euphemistic for death. But the disciples thought he was just speaking of literal sleep, just slumber. And so the Lord spoke plainly to them, Lazarus, now Lazarus is dead. And so, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe this stuff that he's come to do. That you can't just look at a man and say, he's alive, he's dead, because the body does not reflect the true heart of an individual. Therefore, Thomas, who's called Didymus, who just means twin, so he's got a twin out there. He's, one of the, he's a twin. He says to his fellow disciples, I don't know what you call him. Is this, is this a pessimist, a realist? Uh, what's the other phrase, term? Um, uh, melancholy? I don't know. But he says, all right, guys, let's just go with them so that we can die too. <laughs> like, you know, let's just get this over with. Let's just die too. And so when Jesus came, they come down to Bethany, which means what? House of agony, affliction. He found uh, that, he, uh, that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, I've said this before. We'll say it when we get to Jesus' resurrection. That in that day and time, to be deemed legally dead, you had to be lifeless for how many days? Three. We've talked about this before. Today, it's just a doctor comes in, does something, and says, pronounces dead. But back then, it was actually days, three days, before you could be legally deemed dead. And so, I guess maybe they started burying people who weren't really dead, and they got like, hey, let's give it a little bit of time before we start doing something. I don't know. But he had been in the tomb for four days. So how many days he had actually been dead, I don't know. But here's the point. He's dead. He's so dead, we'll get in a second, that Martha's kind of worried about that smelling thing that we kind of were talking about earlier. Now, Bethany, which means what? House of what? Agony, affliction, pain, was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. What is Jerusalem? Anybody? What does that mean? I'll give you, we'll walk through this. Salem, 
all right, comes from shalom. Does that make it clear? Shalom. What is shalom? Peace. That's exactly right. Peace. Jeruz comes from this idea of city. City of peace. City of peace. Now let's just mentally, but more importantly, spiritually, like walk through this. Jesus is going to the house of affliction, which is on its way to the city of peace. We'll come back to this next week because Jesus, at the end of chapter 11, he leaves and goes to, uh, into, out into the wilderness because people are ready to kill him. He's not ready to die. But next week in chapter 12, he comes back to Bethany, the, 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 the house of affliction, on his way. That's where he gets the colt, the donkey, and he goes into the city of peace for the final time to be crucified. And so even in our stinking village names, we have the gospel, the affliction, the agony, the cross, which was on the way to something greater, peace, the city of peace. Peace between who? Man and God. Do you remember what the angel said to the shepherds that day? Back in Matthew, Luke chapter 2, it says, Greetings, do not be afraid, yada, yada. Peace on earth, goodwill towards man. Peace on earth. A thing that never existed between man and God since the garden. But because of the, Jesus, the, the Christ, Jesus himself, peace was going to come. But it wasn't going to come without going through the house of affliction, pain. Sarah, the cross. So cool. But we'll get into that more in depth next week because that's when he actually goes to Bethany for the last time to head up to Jerusalem for the last time. But they're only two miles off from each other. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning the brothers. So they had like a a lot of people there uh, in sorrow. Um, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha then said to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, if you were here, we saw you turn the water and the wine. We saw you turn the heel of the leper. We, we saw you take the blind and he can see the woman with the blood issue. We, we've seen you do stuff lesser than this. He was just sick. If you were only here. My brother would not have died. But even now, the faith continues. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Is there, I mean, can you blame her for that opening sort of, again, is it a guilt thing? I don't know. I I can't blame her for it because she knows that if he was there, things might have been different. So Jesus says to her, and this is where we get into the radical part here, your uh, brother will rise again. Now Martha understands what he's talking about, or so she thinks. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days, future tense, one day. 
It's affliction now, Bethany, but yes, one day in the distance, not just two miles away, but like light years away, there will be peace in the last day. I, I believe that, Jesus. Yes, I know. In the last day, in the distant, far off future, there will be, he will be raised again. So her theology is not that much different than a lot of theology today. That yes, there will be a day future that will be a wonderful day future. But for now, we're storing up our treasure. For now, we're you know, trying to get our goods to outweigh our bads. Now we're trying to decrease our sins and increase our good works. But in the future, there's going to be a good, good day, hopefully. So Jesus corrects her theology and says, Oh, Martha, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. So for her, resurrection was a future event. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the resurrection. I'm the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And any, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see how he's corrected her thinking, corrected her theology? She's like, yes, there's a future resurrection. There's a future peace. There's a peace that's going to come. We're in Bethany, but Jerusalem is going to come. We know it's going to come. Peace will come. But Jesus, that's, that's at the end of the days. That's in the future. That's so far future, we can't even really see it. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the city of peace. So what's the difference? She has this idea of there will be a resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Um, is that a big deal? Is that a big difference? Is this really worth worrying about? Um, for those of you, and we're in the middle of it now, who have retired a lot of debt. We've got our school loans that we're working through rather aggressively right now. And for us right now, it is we will be debt-free one day. And we will, but I don't know when. <laughs> but we're trying as hard as we can to knock it out. But for those of you who have already gone through that, and you can sit there and say, I am debt-free. That's a totally different perspective. It's a totally different reality. I will be. You are. Or remember, it's Dad's Day. It's Father's Day. Remember the years, grow, you know, for me, it was in the, my early 20s. I didn't, I didn't become a father until I was 30. You know, we tried for about five years having a bunch of miscarriages. And it was like, one day I will be a father. One day I will be. And there was this, this, this agony this longing, will it ever happen? I don't know if it'll happen, but I want it to happen. Well, today I can say I am daddy. I am father. Totally different perspective, totally different realities. So Martha, she is all about there will be a hope. There will be a future. There will be a peace. But right now we're in Bethany. Don't you know that? We're in agony. 
we're in, I don't really know where we are. Kind of like the Catholics call, what is it, like limbo or uh, what's the other word, purgatory. We're just like, I don't really know where we are right now. He will live again. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He is alive for I am the resurrection and the life. But he can't be alive, Jesus. His body is what? Dead, four days. It's clear. It's clear as day. Yes, 12 hours by day, you think you can see. 12 hours at night, you stumble. You can't see the reality of what's going on beyond these 12 and 12. There's another light. There's another reality. There's another source that now comes from within to a realm where life is not linked to the body, but it's linked to Jesus himself. For he is the resurrection and the life. And so she says to him, okay, you just corrected my thinking. I thought that's how it works. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world. I believe that it is you. I don't know what it all means, but I believe it is you. When she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the teacher is here. Jesus is here, and he's calling for you. So Mary, when she heard it, she got up and she quickly came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. Remember, Martha ran out of the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. And then the Jews who were with her, her uh, Mary, in the house, they were consoling her. They were crying with her. When they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, thinking that she was just going to the tomb to weep at the tomb. But she comes to Jesus, verse 32. And she says to him, she falls at his feet, and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, just like Martha. And Jesus is so much better than me. Because <laughs> I would have been like rolling my eyes, like, I got to go through this again. <laughs> like, why, weren't, why weren't you here when I just said all this to Martha? But Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, and he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. What was he troubled about? We can speculate. We can say that he's hurting because they're hurting. Is he troubled because they don't really believe? I don't know. He doesn't really specify, and if you have a thought, I'd love for you to share that here in a second. And so he just asks them plainly, where have you laid them, him? Uh, where have you laid him they said to him come and see now here we are in John light darkness sight blind we've seen this a lot I think this is one of the greatest ironies in all of the four gospels maybe all of the scripture where they say to John uh, to Jesus we're going to show you where he's at where they are completely clueless as to where he's at right Dance party. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they say, come, we're going to show you. Do you see this? <laughs> what was it, Space Invaders? What's going on? <laughs> they say, Jesus, we're going to show you where he is. You got this? We're going to show you where Lazarus is. And what's going to end up being shown? Jesus is going to show them where he really is. Watch this. But he wept. Why did he weep? 
That's a great question, and I'm not going to say that I know the exact answer to. Is he weeping because they're just so torn up about a friend dying? Hey, maybe he, 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 he is the lover of our soul, and so we hurt, he hurts. Sure, absolutely. But I think it's even deeper than that. Is, it a, is he weeping because they are not um, seeing what he sees, what he wants them to see? Maybe. I've heard it said that he weeps because he knows where Lazarus really is and he's about to call Lazarus back from that place of Abraham's bosom back into this world of darkness. I've heard that thought before. I don't know. Again, if you have a thought, feel free to share it. We're almost done with what we're going to look at today. So the Jews were saying to him, see how he loved him? And he's crying for him. Again, the love of Jesus on display. But some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying too? And it's too what now? It's too late. He's dead. We can see. It's 12 hours in the day. We can see. Of course he could have saved him. Of course he could have healed him before he died. But why did he not? Remember back to the beginning. Because the Son of God was going to be glorified in this event. So look at what happens, verse 30, uh, 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, a light within, he comes to the tomb. And now it was, it was a cave and the stone had been lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days. And, of course, they didn't embalm, you know. So, yeah, there's going to be a stench. But isn't this the same Martha who just said, Lord, even now, if you would but ask the Father, it would be done? So, again, there's this want to believe but not sure about what really they're believing sort of. I don't blame them, right? I'm not, like, throwing stones. But there's definitely a, a mixed response going on, even from the same people. And Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but because of the people standing around it, standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. With a loud voice. I can't help but not think about the previous chapter where he talks about the shepherd walking out of the sheep pen and he's just talking to his sheep. And his sheep, the sheep of that shepherd, knows the voice of the shepherd and they just follow behind because they know his voice. They won't follow the voice of a what? Starts with an S. Stranger. You were here last week. But they were, but they hear and listens to the voice of their true shepherd. I just can't help. I mean, it just happened. It's the same word, voice. They hear my voice. And now you hear Jesus speaking into a tomb and says, Lazarus, I'm going to show them that there's a light within that this isn't just about 12 hours of good, 12 hours of evil, and try to get your good to outweigh your evil. But there's another light. There's another reality. There's another realm. And I'm going to show it to them that life and death is not defined by the body, 
by the physical reality, but there is a life and there's a death that is deep within in the spirit that is what is at stake here. And we're going to show them that Lazarus, who is my sheep, who knows my voice, come and let us show them. So the son of man, the son of God himself will be glorified to reveal to the people around that he was in fact sent by God to lead his sheep through a door, a portal from his kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound head and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. You know, let that sink in for a second. There's another light. There's another source. Beyond the physical. Therefore, many of the Jews who had came to Mary, they came from Jerusalem there, they're just consoling. They saw what he had done and they believed in him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who should have smelt like roadkill. And now he's walking around. Wouldn't that convince everyone? Wouldn't it? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told the things which Jesus had done. I'm telling you guys, if seeing a dead man walk out of the tomb doesn't convince people of who Jesus truly is, then let us not be discouraged when the, the testimonies of our lives, the words that we share, and the scriptures we proclaim, if they don't convince people of the truth and the reality of Jesus. If they walk away from a dead man coming back to life because of the words of Jesus, let us not be discouraged when we face opposition and rejection because of our faith in Jesus. So, Verse 47, real quickly, just a few verses here. The chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. What do you do in religious organizations when you come up with problems that you can't solve? You form a what? Committee. And they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. In fact, in the Greek, this word signs, it literally means attesting miracles. Meaning, like, it's undeniable. What are we doing? What are we going to do with this? It's undeniable. It's attesting to his, their witness. It's, he, Jesus even calls them, these are my witnesses, my signs, what I'm doing. And it's like, this is this, a, a dead man coming back to life. This is not explainable. We can't write this off. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Is that true? I mean, these guys, there was guys that just left him not believing. So that's not true, but that's their fear. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation so their focus is on what? The 12 hours of day and the 12 hours of night. Their focus is on this kingdom. The Romans are going to take away our place. What's the place? It's the temple. It's what they think is what gets them good with God. 
and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people. Now, this is the high priest of the priests, not a follower of Jesus, not a believer in Jesus. And he is, let me read the rest, and that the whole nation would not perish. But is that not the gospel? That one man perish, that one man die, so that all don't die. He's proclaiming the gospel. Now, he doesn't realize that, of course. He's saying, let's kill this one guy so that we don't die. I mean, that's what he's saying. But that is the gospel, that one man perish, Jesus, so that the Romans don't come in and perish all of us, if you will. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Again, he doesn't know, I, I would surmise, surmise that he doesn't know what he's saying, like as far as in the gospel sense of it at all. But the correlation, the prophesy, the prophecy that he's going to die for the people is uncanny. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Talking about Jews, Gentiles alike. And so this high priest who's just trying to save his own neck is actually proclaiming the gospel. And so from that day forward, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but he went away from there into the, uh, the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. And this is where he stays until next chapter. It's actually the end of this chapter and then into the chapter 12 where he comes back into Bethany and he's anointed by Mary and her perfume on his way to Jerusalem for Passover when he's arrested and is crucified. And so to wrap up today, here's what I want us to get to. And it, I think we've covered it pretty well, but Jesus is resurrection and life, not Jesus will be the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a person. Peace is not a, 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 a status. Peace is a person, the prince of peace. It's who he is. The only way for us to be at peace, the status of peace with God, is because we have been indwelt and been created by and joined to a person, the Prince of Peace. And so resurrection, life in Christ, is now. Now. It's not something future. It's not an event that we are waiting for to uh, happen in the distant future. Many, I referenced this earlier, of the mainstream denominations teach that there is simply a future resurrection that will take place one day and all of life now and even when you're physically dead is just some sort of waiting period of storing up treasure in heaven that we can experience one day in the distant future. And that's Martha's theology. I, I've been to so many funerals, and I'm not going like, to say the denominational names, that's not the point, but I've been to so many funerals where the, the pastor, the, the, the 
person, whatever they're called, they talk about how the body is being entered into the, the, the ground and that there's a, what do they call it, a soul sleep or this, the, the, this waiting period that one day everything will be good and grand and glorious and whatnot. That's Martha's theology. And Jesus corrected her. And I think if that's your theology, let it correct yours as well. Martha didn't realize that the resurrection and the life was staring her in the face, not an event to hold on to for the future. So what did Jesus do to illustrate, to demonstrate that resurrection life is now and not later? <laughs> he raised a dead man to life. This isn't future. It's now. You see, the gospel is not merely the death of Jesus. This is where I've been wrong so much of my life. The gospel is not merely the death of Jesus, but it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This means that if you believe Jesus right now, you too have been raised to new life and your new life in him will never die. As he just says, sure, our bodies will die. Our bodies will age. The flesh will give way, of course. But the inner man, the true you, your new heart, your new spirit is all, has already died and passed through judgment and is now joined, united, raised to new life with Jesus. You right now are walking around in this world with the light of the world within you, illuminating your life, illuminating your mind, your steps. You right now are in union, whether you realize it or not. And that's the big deal. Do we even know what we have? Right now, you are in union with the God of the universe. Right now, you have been raised up and right now are seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 2. Right now, you have the very fullness of God dwelling richly within you, Colossians chapter 1. Right now, you are as spiritually alive as you'll ever be. As you'll ever be. You're not waiting for a future spiritual awakening. You are spiritually alive. You are as spiritually alive now as you will ever be in the future. You right now, Colossians chapter 2, are complete in him. Nothing lacking in him right now. You right now have life. Everlasting life. Right now. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Do you have him? If you have him, then you have resurrected life in you. Now, we sing these songs, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the very same power, it's now in us, however the song goes. Well, that's taken out of the scripture, out of Ephesians. The very same life. Now, let's read this again. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Jesus said, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but if he's because he sees the light of this world. Talking about the, the sun, I, I'm assuming. But if anyone like walks in the night, he stumbles. He fails. Because there is no light in him. In him. You right now no longer are to walk by 12 hours of knowing what's good and 12 hours of fearing what's evil. You right now have the light of of God himself, where? In you. Now here's our question to wrap up. Why don't we get this? Why don't we see this? Why don't we live in this reality as though God himself were living in me? Why? Two answers real quickly. Number one, 
because we, and I say we, I mean Christianity, we don't understand, we don't truly understand the cross and the death of Jesus. We do not understand, we Christianity, hopefully we are understanding this more and more in our fellowship, but we do not understand that the sin of the world has been removed. We don't really understand that. We don't really believe that, generally speaking. How can we even begin? Here's the issue. How can we even begin to experience and to live this resurrected life within us when we're consumed with whether or not God even likes us because of our what? Our sin that happened today, yesterday, and the day before that. So we, why, the question, why don't we live in this reality of this light of God himself in us, directing us and guiding us and leading us? Why do we keep reverting back to 12 hours of, of good, 12 hours of evil, and trying to know, not stumble, and trying to do good and try to not stumble? Why do we keep reverting back to that? Because we don't really believe what happened on the cross. If we really believed what happened to sin on the cross, we would not go through our day consumed with whether or not God even receives us and accepts us or likes us because of our recent record of wrongs. Number two, why? Goes along with number one. Number one, it's because we don't really understand what happened on the cross. Number two, why do we not live in this reality of the life of God, the resurrected life? It's because, follow me here, let me explain this, don't throw eggs yet, because we think salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. Why do we not live in the resurrected life of Christ? Why do we not live in that experience, live out that reality? Because we have been taught and we think that salvation is forgiveness of sins. Well, what do you mean, Walt? Well, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This is Paul talking to the Romans. He says, for if while we were enemies... If when we were enemies, that was our condition, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. If that's true, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son as enemies. Much more, so even greater than the death and the reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins, much more having been reconciled, much more than reconciliation, much more than just forgiveness, we shall be saved, salvation, by his what? Life. So what saves you? The forgiveness of your sins? No. What saves you? His life within you. Why is that a big deal? Well, I don't want to take time to get into the whole, you know, history of things like Calvinism and, and whatnot. But here's the deal. There is a, 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 a common misunderstanding, I would say, we might disagree, that the, what Jesus' work on the cross was only limited to a certain number of sins. And so if your sins are forgiven, therefore you are saved. So salvation equals forgiveness of sins. But is that what Paul is saying? That's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we were enemies and he reconciled the world. Colossians, uh, help me a second, Corinthians chapter 5. He reconciled the world to himself. Does that mean the whole world is saved? Of course not. What does salvation require? His life within and how does that happen? By faith, by believing. You see, why do we not live out this resurrected life within? I'm suggesting to you, it's because we think that the forgiveness of sins equals salvation. The forgiveness of sins does not equal salvation. The forgiveness of sins equals the opportunity for salvation. 
If there be not total forgiveness of sins, then there is no opportunity for salvation. Sure, of course. Because once he comes in, once his life that saves us comes in, if, we, if he's still keeping record of wrong, what happens the very next time we sin? He's out. Because the righteousness and holiness of God cannot dwell within the immoral and the unholy. And so we have to realize that the total forgiveness of sins that happened on the cross 2,000 years ago is a prerequisite. It must happen for salvation, but that is not the totality of salvation. Salvation does not occur until the very life, his life, becomes our life by faith in him. Salvation is not imparted because sins are forgiven Salvation is not the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is the impartation of a new life. Whose life? Jesus' life. It's his life. I hear people say, I'm saved because I'm forgiven. No, it's not true. Forgiveness must happen in order to be saved, for sure. But you're saved because the resurrected life of Jesus now lives in you. And you have been raised to this new life with him. Of course, I'll say it again so there's no confusion. Total forgiveness of sins is a prerequisite for salvation. Absolutely. But total forgiveness of sins is not, according to Paul at least, salvation. Salvation is by his life, his resurrected new life now in us. So what does this mean? How does this fix our issue or whatever our question was of why do we not live constantly in this reality of a life, a new life, the life of Christ in us? And I think it's because we've got some bad theology. We think that I'm saved because I'm forgiven. And so here I am forgiven and I'm trying to clean up. I'm forgiven, but I'm trying to clean up. I'm trying to get a better life. I'm trying to do a better life. I'm trying to initiate a better life. That's not it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is... It is finished. Hebrews chapter, all of it. For by one offering you have been made, uh, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. One offering, once and for all. Salvation, forget sins, there's a done deal as far as God's accounting. 1 Corinthians 15. Love keeps no records of what? Wrong. Is God love? He keeps no record of wrong. It's a done deal. The cross settled that. But now what you have by faith, if you believe, you have a life within you, a new life, Christ himself. And as we change, as our minds are renewed to this glorious reality that we are not just simply forgiven people, so that's great, let's, 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 let's start there. Because most people don't even start there. Most people say they're trying to get forgiven. But it's not even just accepting the fact that we're totally forgiven. That's prerequisite for the fact that we are now indwelt by God himself and a new life within. Not knowing that we were speaking on this today, our friend James Barron down in Florida, he actually sent an excerpt of his new book coming out by text to me and April and Jim and uh, Patsy. I'm just going to read a little section. Don't, don't uh, put this out uh, as a, you know, before his book comes out. But this whole scene with Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, though an actual historical event is a metaphor to teach us 
What Jesus came to accomplish for us is not something that we must wait to experience as an event at the end of the world, like we've been talking about. We are not to wait for an event called the resurrection to experience heaven. Jesus wants us to see that he is the resurrection. Jesus said in him, we have already passed from death into life. The revelation of this metaphor is that heaven is here now because Jesus is our resurrection. And joined to him, we have been raised from the dead already and have already ascended to sit with him in heaven. He is the resurrection and life for us now. Do you believe this? And Jesus told them to remove the stone and called out, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came forth alive again. Jesus is the resurrection and he calls us to come forth from the old world of death and walk into his new world of life. And the call to him is the call to you. Come forth, believer. Allow the Spirit of God to renew your mind and go through the door of Christ himself and behold this heaven with your own eyes, the eyes of your heart. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life and he has come to us through him now. It's abundant life. The resurrection is not just a future event. It is a present reality in the person of Jesus. He did not, did he not say that if we would only believe, we would see the glory of God. I don't know what else to say other than there's something that has happened. And it's amazing. It's out of this world. And if we can get rid of the mere knowledge of good and evil and see the life that is within, it will truly transform us to experience this life in Christ that sounds so wonderful and tantalizing and glorious, but it just seems so future and distant and not today. I think it is for today, whether we realize it or not. Any thoughts? Yes, Mary Rose. Amen. (laughs) Um, I had a thought on the Jesus is weeping at that point. Um, And I'm weeping for the fact that we frequently have to go through pain They had to go through the pain of their brother dying before. They they were believing before, but he was showing them something greater. Right. And that that happens in our own lives. Yeah. And that also made me think of light and dark in terms of light when things are going fine in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't necessarily always look to Jesus, but Mm -hmm. when we're in our own personal darkness. Stumble. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. When did Lazarus need Jesus the most, if you will? Was it when he was alive and things were good and 12 hours a day or when he had died? Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Any other thoughts? Jim? I know you have thoughts on John 11. which is seems so natural, seems so the way it should be. Um, but again, his thoughts are above ours. Yeah. Um, you know, up, up until he was crucified and resurrected, you know, how many other people were out there proclaiming this or that about themselves? Mm-hmm. We see people, so to think that somebody, a person in the human body, mm-hmm. could possibly be God, right. would be just like yeah. ridiculous. Sure, Ag- agreed. And um, I just think all these examples of Jesus uh, showing him by signs, by miracles, so that they would think about that and not his physical body, maybe. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, he's another light, another reality. I also think about his weeping like it's a deep sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he totally wrong. But, you know, he was with God the Father before anything was even made. And um, here he was seeing the time coming very mm. near. That's a great point. Yeah. The lamb that was slain, he was going to be able to hmm. make it happen so all these people who put their faith in hmm. would be able to yeah. fellowship with yeah. him. Yeah. Never, hmm. never was. Yeah, that's a good I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Joy. 
Yeah. Yeah, or just even um, ref thinking forward to his own affliction that awaits, you know, his own yeah. Bethany, you know, if you will, you know. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, I guess I just wanted to comment about um, a little bit more about this book, uh, Romans 5.10. Mm -hmm. um, the way I see it, um, I guess just to make it more clear in my head anyway, uh, all of us were born um, spiritually dead, mm -hmm. uh, being born from uh, Adam right. um, into sin. Right. Uh, and even though uh, when Christ died, all of our sins were forgiven, that doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden alive. Right. It doesn't bring us exactly. back to life. Right. That only means that we no longer have that sin accounted against us, even though we're still dead. Right, exactly. Um, and the only thing that can actually bring our spirits back to life was, or is Jesus. Right. Um, and so, like you were saying, Jesus couldn't bring us back to life if we still had sins counted against us. So right. Jesus had to die first so that our sins were cleared, and right. then he could right. come into us and uh, right. actually bring us back to life. Yeah. No. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5, I mean, if you were to write it in like modern vernacular, I think that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5 is saying, that um, he's reconciled us, us, the whole world. There is there is no more accounting. Reconciliation, that's, a, that's an accounting term. There's no more debts for humanity before God. Now, Paul says, so now that God's done this, in view of what he's done, no more debts, no more accounting, no more. It, you've been reconciled. Now, in view of that, you be reconciled to him. How's that? By believing, by faith, by trusting him, by believing what he's done. And so there is a total removal. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, let's believe that. Let's just be okay with that. And so now it is, are you dead Still, because of sin, or are you alive because of faith? It's not, there's more forgiveness. The, the only way for sins to be forgiven, Hebrews eleven six, 6, you know, Hebrews 9 something, is for uh, um, the shedding of what? Blood. How many times did Jesus bleed? Once. So all forgiveness has taken place. The world has been reconciled. Now, when is salvation going to occur? when his life is imparted into you by faith. So now we get to turn the page to say, oh, wow, my salvation just isn't a forgiveness of sins. My salvation is there's a life within me. And now the focus is not on trying to maintain a forgiveness or get a forgiveness or whatever about sins. It is I have a life within me, Christ himself. And now the focus, our mindset is on the life of Christ that we now have now within because he is the resurrection and life. And that just changes everything. It changes from this drudgery of trying to make sure that our, what's the old 
phrase that we used to hear all the time growing up. Um, keep short accounts with God, you know, stuff like that, where it's all like, keep short accounts, make sure you get your sins confessed, get that under the blood. Like we transition from that uh, elementary, almost like a mixture of Judaism and Jesus. We, we, we graduate from that foolishness to my sins are as gone as, as Jesus, as God is rich in his grace, Ephesians 1. And now there's a life, there's an actual life of God himself in me, in my new heart, in my new man, that is guiding me and directing me and pulsating and renewing my mind day by day to his thoughts, to his desires. He's etched his desires in my new heart. And um, it just totally changes. It's, it's, it, it enables the ability to actually live and walk by faith. The rest is the law is not of faith. And so record keeping of wrongs, that's not of faith. That's of sight. It's not Christianity. But how many pulpits are proclaiming that today? Not to try to make a big deal about this pulpit. I'm just saying, like, that's just not there. It's not, it's not, it's here. It's in the scriptures, but it's, it's absent. So let's pray that there will be a continued realization and revelation of the finished work of Christ. Cool. Well, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Hopefully this is encouraging and challenging and thought-provoking. And wow, that's, I thought Lazarus was just a dead guy that came back to life. Maybe that's all it was, but I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah, there you go. Let's stand up and and, uh, pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we can look back 2,000 years ago on this real historical event of you raising a man from death, but we can see the greater, uh, a glimpse, let's just be honest, a glimpse of the greater glory of what's going on, that you have a light, you are a source that far exceeds the 12 hours of day, 12 hours of night of this world. You have are a light. You are the light that exceeds. In fact, when, and even in creation on day one, you said, let there be light. The sun wasn't even created to day four. So there was already light before there was sun. How's that? Oh, yeah, you are the light of the world. So, Father, I just pray that we would grow in the revelation of what really does exist beneath this flesh and bone that there is a spirit, that there is a reality, that we ourselves right now, if we believe in you, we have been created new by you, that there is not a step we take that you don't take because you're in us, you're with us. Yes, we stumble and fall and sin in many ways. We do because our minds revert back to the foolishness of the old thinking time and time again. But all of that, that's not the issue. The issue is let us set our mind, let us set our eyes, let us set our focus on the life of Christ. Christ in you is your hope of glory. So God, may that be clearer to someone today than it was yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Happy Father's Day. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. 
This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.